You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for March 12, 2023, the third Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. Welcome again to all of you and to those of you who are streaming. I'm just so glad you're here today because I just absolutely love this story. This is the story, this is the gospel passage I, I chose to represent me when I was being ordained. It is an epic tale. Jesus is shocking, and the woman at the well is shocking too. She is, she is just somebody we should all know. This is a story that I wish the whole world know, knew. I'm, I'm so sorry it's buried in John's Gospel, and we only, we only read it and ponder it periodically through our lectionary cycle. You know, if you go to an NFL football game, you always see somebody with a sign that says John 3.16. I'd always wish that those signs said John 4.5 to 4.42. It doesn't, uh, doesn't quite have the same cachet, but it has what the world needs. Now, we all know that Jesus is many things to many people at different times, depending on what we need. He meets us where we are. And just as it is in our lives, so it is in the Gospels. And it is on full display uh, right here in the Gospel according to John, where last week we had Jesus meeting with Nicodemus, and now this week we have Jesus meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. Nicodemus is attracted to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus at night, And Nicodemus is everything that is honored in the Hebrew people of Jesus's day. He's a Pharisee. He is a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling Sanhedrin, which is kind of like being on the Supreme Court in Congress together. He's a wealthy man and he is an aristocrat. The Samaritan Samaritan woman at the well is the exact opposite. She is everything that is dishonored by the Hebrew people of Jesus's day. First of all, she's a Samaritan, and as you know, there's bitter, bitter enmity between the the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And she's a woman. Just to give you some sense of this, uh, men did not speak with women in public, even their own wives. And no rabbi would ever speak to a woman in public because it would be the end of his career. This woman in particular is morally disgraceful, according to the people of her day. She's, she's tainted and tarnished. She is ritually unclean and impure. She's a religious heretic. She's ethnically impure, and she's racially impure. This racial purity thing is a very, very big deal to the Hebrew people of Jesus's day. This is a woman from the wrong side of the tracks, but she's not only from the wrong side of the tracks, she's from the wrong side of the tracks for the people that the Hebrew people think are on the wrong side of the tracks. And so that when Jesus speaks with her, he breaks every single taboo possible, national, gender, moral, religious, social, and personal. This is a complete in-your-face grace that is completely shocking. It is completely shocking. You can hear it in uh, her voice when at the well he says, give me a drink of water. And she says, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You can also hear the shock when the disciples who've been sent into town to get food come back. And what does it say? It says they are astonished and that no one dared ask him, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? Jesus is clearly not a guy you chat with, right? Sometimes you just don't chat with this guy. They are astonished. Everything is wrong about this. He is asking to drink from her bucket, not her, not her well. It's not her well. It's Jacob's well, right? Joseph's well. It's her bucket that he is drinking out of. This would be like, potentially like uh, somebody down south in an era gone by when water fountains were separated. I would like to drink from your cup. And it, they is, ah, they're, they're sharing personal information alone. This would be impossible to conceive. And the fact that they are talking about super intimate information in her life, it would be beyond scandalous. Everything but everything is wrong with the story, except for one thing, which is if you read it in the Greek, it says that Jesus had to go through this territory. In other words, it was the divine will, it was divine mission that Jesus would talk to this woman. And of course, we know that the way the scriptures work, that when Jesus is talking to the woman, he's talking to each of us. We are the woman at the well. That's, that's what the story is about. Now, we read the scriptures, of course, with contemporary glasses and if we do that we might miss some things because if we were able to read the scripture with Hebrew glasses with Old Testament glasses what we would see is this story is filled with erotic tension and sexual overtones this is a saucy sacred story with a wild divine reversal this is a crazy story so just to give you like some sense of this wells, springs. Uh, this is where men met their mates. This is where they pursued their mates. And we see this in the patriarchs. We see this in Moses. And at the stories in the Hebrew scriptures, it is the woman who is the attraction. And the men are pursuing the attraction. Now, when this story unfolds, there is this great reversal because Jesus is the attraction. The woman is so undone by speaking with him that she leaves her bucket. She leaves her bucket. The very reason she came to the well, she just bolts and leaves that, but she comes back. And later in the story, as Reverend Elizabeth just read it, the townspeople come back. Uh, just like in the previous chapter, Nicodemus came to him, and just like each of us came to him. I mean, you have all come to him because you're, you're here in church or you're here on the stream that we have all come to this man. So what is it that is so compelling about Jesus that not only uh, the woman at the well and the townspeople came back, but billions of people have come to this man? And the answer is that we have a soul problem. We have a spiritual problem. And that's why this is a story for all people. This story has nothing to do with denomination. Or this is a story for all of humanity. You see that as a human being, there is this thing that sometimes has a name 
and really most times has no name and it's kind of hard to, to put your finger on it, but it is seriously there. It is seriously real. And that is, uh, for people who experience this greatly, there is an inner thirst. And this thirst cannot be satiated by water or wine or Gatorade, no matter how much you drink. And, and bars are filled with people trying to quench this thirst. That's why bartenders hear more confessions than clergy. Right? And there is this inner hunger that no matter how much you eat, you cannot, you cannot satiate your hunger. And that there's this inner hole. And no matter, no matter how many activities you throw on yourself, you can't fill the hole. And there's this gnawing something that no matter how far you run or how far you travel, you can't run away with it. And it's like an unwanted absence. But no matter how many friends you have, you can't, you can't fill that, that absence. And you can distract yourself with movies or Netflix or books, but it's always there. I wonder if any of you have ever read the book called The Movie Goer by Walker Percy. It was a fantastic book. Walker Percy was a Southern writer of a generation and a half ago. And in the story of The Movie Goer, uh, he calls this thing the malaise. And the malaise is haunting the main character, Jack. And uh, Jack uh, seeks to go from kind of... Um, uh, high top experiences one after another in, a, in, a, in an effort to outrun the malaise. He, he has a great job and he has great cars and he has a great house. He has great everything, but he cannot avoid the malaise. And many of you, as I look out, and certainly some of you are my age, and you remember uh, Rolling Stones who created the anthem for this thing, right? No satisfaction. And if you remember those parties that were always so fun, uh, with people on the dance floor singing as loud as they could, I can't get no satisfaction. That's not just because they know the lyrics. That is an existential proclamation. Uh, the Rolling Stones got it, everything. That's why that is one of the two, uh, always comes up as one of the two greatest uh, songs, rock and roll songs of all time. Now, uh, this thing, this underlying thirst, I am sure and convinced, is also at the root of the global happiness movement, which is just blowing up and burgeoning in our world. Whether or not you know it or are tracking on a positive psychology in the pursuit of happiness is a global industry. It's over a billion dollar industry. When I was in seminary, my favorite professor used to say, if you want to know what's happening in a culture, take a look at the laws because they're the inversion of what's happening in the culture. And I've always thought the same thing was true if you take a look at what college courses are. And so uh, a brief, as to brief surveys, the most popular class at Yale is psychology and the good life. And Lori Santos, the professor, has a podcast called The Happiness Lab, which is followed by millions and millions of people. She's on television all the time. The most popular course at Harvard, positive psychology. Last year, 1,400 students took it. The Harvard Business School has a new class. It's entitled Leadership and Happiness. Many countries, as you know, are now calculating, because economists and Freakonomics has gotten into the game, gross national happiness. All of this points toward the fact that we got a lot of unhappy people. Whether or not this is national or international, it's collegiate, what it is is personal and individual. 
the unhappiness movement starts in the soul. We have a soul problem. We do not have soul satisfaction. We are thirsty people. And into this thirst, of course, comes the world's greatest drinking story. Chapter four in John's Gospel. Jesus says he wants a drink. She offers a bucket eventually, and he offers her living water. Now, as you know, uh, in the conversation is, it borders on the comical, right? Because uh, she is speaking uh, from the literal and he's speaking from the spiritual and they're having a massive disconnect, and this disconnect runs throughout John's Gospel. Remember last week in Nicodemus when Jesus said, you must be born again, and Nicodemus said, well, how can I get back in my mother's womb? The literal translation and meaning of living water is running water, like in a stream, it's called living water. But the spiritual translation of it is, of course, the Spirit of God, and it is it is all in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Living water represents many things, salvation, but it boils down to the Spirit of God. My favorite, my favorite one-liner in the, in the Bible is Jesus quoting the Hebrew Scriptures when he says, out of the believer's heart shall flow streams of living water. So Jesus says to this uh, Samaritan woman, who is about the coolest woman on the planet, right? You just get this? I mean, this is an incredible passage. This woman gets as many lines as Jesus does in the story. She is, this, this is one, uh, in another, I can't say from the pulpit, but she's, she's tough. Uh, and, and Jesus says to her, you, you know, the water I'm gonna give you, you'll never be thirsty. And so obviously what Jesus is telling her and telling us is that what I'm gonna give you it's gonna satisfy your soul. We're talking about a soul thing here. I mean, she's, she's talking about a well in a bucket and he's talking about an internal spring and uh, this inner spring, which is obviously the soul thing. And then he says that this internal spring, this soul spring, is going to, it's going to gush up in your soul. And the Greek word for gushing is also the Greek word for dancing. And so, so this, this life of God is going to gush up and, and dance in your soul, and, which is the exact opposite of the enormous spiritual aridity that is experienced by billions of people in the world who are just have an inner aridity that they don't know what to do with. And he, he calls this eternal life. And eternal life is many things uh, in the scriptures, but one thing it is for sure is it is the exact opposite of no satisfaction. It's the exact opposite of the Rolling Stones song. It is the thing that everybody is searching for. And the reason I love this scripture, because this is, this is my story. I was, I was the hungry, I was the thirsty. And, and it happened to me. So Jesus is saying to us that inside your soul, I will deliver to you an inner spring that will gush up in you and dance in your life. And it will, it will be the thing that you cannot fix from the outward. It can only come from the inward and it will satisfy your deepest desire. It will, it will satisfy your cravings. It'll fill your, em your emptiness. It will quench your thirst. It'll satiate your hunger. It'll fill the inner home. It'll stop the gnawing. The great spiritual biographers of all ears talk about this inner soul hunger and thirst. 
and the satiation of that. And nobody has summed this up any better than St. Augustine, who in his confessions wrote that prayer in which he said, my heart is restless until it rests in thee, O Lord. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, he's talking about soul rest and soul satiation. He's talking about a spiritual life that is more real than everything else in your outer life, which is in part what the book The Moviegoer is about. But these waters not only soothe us, but they transform us. They change us. God changes us from the inside out. The whole thing's an inside out operation here. And that we get, we get some sense of that in the scriptures because if you, I mean, it, it takes several minutes what Elizabeth just read to us, but there's a whole spiritual movement in that several minutes and in those verses. So first off, you, a, a, you know, a Jewish man, and then we get that fantastic stuff about the five husbands and she goes, oh, you're a prophet. And then she goes back to the village and she says, could it be the Messiah? And then when the villagers come back, they're its savior of the world. This is the whole arc of the spiritual life, spiritual growth in one story. Now in the West where we are, we call her the Samaritan woman at the well, but in the East, they call her Saint Fotini. And I have an icon of St. Fotini, and I keep her right behind my head in my office because she and Peter are my people. And Fotini means enlightened one, right? So this is where you get the Phos Hilaron in the Book of Common Prayer. Phos meaning in Greek, bright or brilliance, shining. And uh, she is the shining apostle in the Eastern Church because she goes and she brings people and she's baptized. We've just not made enough of this woman, really. We have not made enough of this woman. We should claim her, we should claim her baptized name, St. Fontini, and we should make her the patron saint of all of those people who are still singing, I can't get no satisfaction at the top of their lungs. And we should make her the patron saint of all those who have an inner thirst that they just can't quench. And we should make her the patron saint of everybody who's in the university taking these positive psychology classes because they're not gonna find those in the classroom. The only place to find that is with your Lord. You can find more sermons on our website www.stmarksnewcanon.org.